At Journey Beyond Divorce, we understand that navigating through the emotional tsunami of separation and divorce is one of the hardest journeys you'll take. And we know that once the initial fear and pain begins to pass, a whole new storm of confusion, uncertainty, and self-doubt can surface. Journey Beyond Divorce can help you identify and clarify where you're feeling stuck and what steps you need to move forward, even if they're just baby steps. We guide you with practical, tangible support that you can start implementing right away. Our team of experienced divorce coaches is ready to help you. Listen through the show because we have a gift just for you. It'll help you navigate your divorce with more calm and confidence. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Journey Beyond Divorce on Divorce Horse Radio. In fact, this is a brand new series. And we welcome back Karen McMahon. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. Thanks for the introduction. Today, we're launching a new podcast series on divorcing a narcissist and high-conflict divorce. Now, most divorces, while contentious, involve parties that can and ultimately do engage in a collaborative and even at times an amicable approach to dissolving their marriage. High conflict divorces, however, cannot and do not fall into the same category. They require a very different set of rules. For those of you entering high conflict divorce, the barrage of messages recommending that you be amicable and friendly can leave you, who are already feeling emotionally battered and bruised, feeling like you're failing again. First, failing at not being able to make your marriage work, and now failing at not being able to divorce amicably, as most experts advise. We at Journey Beyond Divorce have been specializing in helping men and women navigate high-conflict divorce for over a decade. This series is designed to honor you and the complex, emotionally tumultuous set of circumstances you're facing and provide you a playbook, a deep level of support that can bolster you through and beyond the divorce process. We have a host of experts that will be joining us throughout the series, sharing their experience, guidance, and effective strategies to navigate the complexities of high-conflict divorce. We have mental health experts who will be explaining the high-conflict personality, personality disorders, narcissism, and the many ways it presents, and the behavior of the caregiver or codependent that married the high-conflict personality. We also have experts discussing the legal options available to you and the myriad of players that are often involved in these divorce cases. We'll be speaking directly with an attorney for the children, custody evaluator, parent coordinator, financial planner, forensic accountant, and many more. Today, we begin the series by focusing on understanding high-conflict personalities and your relationship to them. I'm excited to welcome today's guest, Virginia Gilbert, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Los Angeles. Virginia specializes in the treatment of high conflict divorce and sex and love addiction, which sometimes leads to high conflict divorce. 
She's also a freelance writer, and some of her work can be found on HuffPost, Thrive Global, Good Men Project, Your Tango, and Addiction.com, among others. Virginia's first book, Transcending High Conflict Divorce, How to Disengage from Your Ex and Find Your Power, was published in 2019. After reading Virginia's book and learning about her personal journey through her divorce and the scores of patients she supported through their journey, I'm excited to have Virginia launch the series with us. Welcome, Virginia. Hi, Karen. Thank you for the lovely introduction, and I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you with us. And what I would love to do is dive right in. And then a little bit later in the show, I'd like to talk a little bit more about your book so that people can um, learn more about it and find out where they can they can uh, purchase it. Okay, sounds great. One of the things that you assert um, in your book that was interesting is that high conflict divorce is driven by high conflict personalities. And I'm wondering if you could elaborate on that for our listeners. Right. So um, high conflict personalities have distinct character traits. Um, They either have features of personality disorders or full-blown personality disorders. So the, the personality disorders that people typically hear about are, you know, narcissism, borderline, histrionic, antisocial, obsessive compulsive personality disorder. But sort of across all of those, there are the same set of characteristics that drive high conflict divorce, meaning people have very black and white ways of looking at things. Um, They have emotions that they can't regulate. So they have extreme behaviors and extreme reactions. Um, I think the, the biggest character trait that really drives the high conflict is the need to blame someone else. So there's always a target of blame. So everything that happened in the marriage is the other person's fault. Everything in the divorce is the other person's fault. Everything that ever goes wrong with the children is the other person's fault. So it's this this need to blame somebody else and kind of inability to self-reflect, which is another characteristic of people with personality disorders. Um, just keeps the conflict going. So I also want to say that you don't, not not everybody in a high conflict divorce or everybody with a high conflict personality necessarily has a personality disorder. I mean, some people are just very anxious and that they have sort of extreme reactions to things that can invite conflict. Um, some people have like a lot of trauma and can, again, have reactions to things that drive conflict. Um, so, so so, those are some of the kind of basic characteristics of, of high conflict personalities. You know, I'm so glad you said that at the end because that's one of the things I wanted to touch on with you. I had, uh, I had a couple that I was working with and uh, the woman kept referring to her partner as a narcissist and... I, I, wor- I was working with them individually as well, and it turned out that he had so much trauma and mm-hmm. a verbal and emotional abuse that his 
his uh, understanding, his like emotional intelligence, his, his awareness of his own behavior, his ability to manage it was very askew. And can you just talk a little bit more about like that piece? Because I think everyone thinks they're divorcing a narcissist right. these days, right. right? I think it's a very, it's, it's a very, uh, it, it's the thing everyone's saying. So I'd love to just dive into that a little bit more, that variety of personalities yeah. that aren't necessarily disorders. Yeah. Well, you reminded me of, uh, of an anecdote that um, when I was going through my clinical training, um, the therapist who did our, our family therapy training, she had a specialty in divorce and she treated, I don't know how many families going through divorce. And she said she noticed this pattern at a certain point that um, people would come into her office and no matter what, the ex-husband was an asshole, the ex-wife was crazy, and the new wife or girlfriend was a bitch. And she said it just, she realized at a certain point they can't, it's just not statistically possible. Like all of these people can't be those things. Right. Um, and so her point was there's something in divorce that makes people kind of temporarily crazy. And so, um, so what happens is you can have somebody who, you know, doesn't have a personality disorder, but they have they've been traumatized in their life so their ability to regulate their nervous system is impaired so they have a hard time distinguishing what you know what a legitimate threat is so um sometimes they'll respond to an email in a way that's like very very dramatic or um, if you try to maybe change uh, the visitation schedule, you know, one time and there's a perfectly reasonable explanation for why it'll turn into a, like a big thing, you know, um, because of because of all the trauma and just they're not able to regulate their nervous system. They see everything as a threat. And so. When that's the case, you just, you can't resolve anything and right. all, you know, it just, you know, so, so you have behaviors that, that drive conflict. And I think, I think, um, something that can happen in high conflict divorces, let's say you have somebody who really is a textbook narcissist. It's very traumatic dealing with someone like that. Um, and so it's traumatizing. And so, you know, the spouse who's kind of, who's not really the disordered one because of all the trauma can be acting in ways that may seem narcissistic. Um, but it's, but it's comes from a very different place. It's not, you know, narcissists have a very grandiose worldview, like everything is about them and their way. And that's not, the same thing for a trauma survivor, but um, but sometimes the the behaviors and the emotional reactivity can be similar. Right. You know, I was I was interviewing in one of in our last series a psychologist who used the word um, digression, and he would say that he was explaining how that when when a couple enters divorce because it's just so you know the marriage has dissolved and it's so chaotic and stressful that there's this emotional digression that goes on so nobody 
nobody's behaving as their best self. We're kind right. of like we're kind of like the the sloppier version of ourselves. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But I think you know, in a what I call a garden variety divorce, people work through that after a year or so, um, and then they, you know, they sort of work through the conflict and become co-parents, and they have you know, basically an amicable divorce, but that high conflict divorce people don't get there. It just stays horrible for a long time. Right, right, exactly. Like it's the, the dance, the the marriage was so broken with the, and often my understanding is you have the, the high conflict personality and then the person who's attracted to that which mm-hmm. often is that caregiver, codependent type person. It's such a, it's such an unhealthy dance, and then you add the pressure of divorce to it, um, and and that adds a whole nother layer of behaviors, right? And so, if if someone if our someone's listening to our show and they um, they've been married to uh, someone with a high conflict personality and perhaps certainly as was my case, like lost themselves uh, and they're trying to divorce that high conflict personality, what are some of the behaviors that you see on on that person's side? So one thing that I noticed that really keeps people stuck is there is a strong attachment to getting the, I'm just going to say the narcissist, um, just, just to make it easy. There's a strong attachment to getting the narcissist to have an epiphany, meaning Mm. finally see your side of things, admit that you're right about something, give you respect, um, you know, understand what you're saying about, you know, sort of best practices for raising the children. So the more codependent people, they just, there's, they really attach their future happiness and peace of mind and the children's health and well-being to if I can just get the narcissist to have an epiphany and change their entire personality, then it'll be okay. And, um, you know, that doesn't happen because most narcissists don't change. And the reality is none of us can change somebody else. But it really becomes like almost an addiction I think to to you know sort of needing the narcissist to be reasonable, but that's what you didn't ever have in the marriage. I mean, that's one reason the marriage ended is because you know you were treated as a non-person, you were gaslit, and um, the you know the narcissist was never being reasonable. So if you couldn't get them to be reasonable in the marriage, you're definitely not going to be able to do it in the divorce. Um, I think I think the other thing with sort of the codependent slash caregiver personality is sometimes that they don't have um, a clearly defined self-concept. So they feel that their intrinsic value comes from the relationships that they have. Um, and sometimes, you know, if, if you're with a narcissist, it's a relationship with somebody who may be kind of sparkly and glamorous and, and charming. And so that can make you feel, um, you know, important, perhaps. Um, 
So it, so I, I guess just to finish up, so what I was going to say is that sometimes it can be hard to disengage from that because so much of the identity has been kind of entangled with, with the narcissistic person. Well, and I would think as well, um, well, I want to talk about what you said about expecting change too, but on this piece, you know, after years of being being engaged with someone where they're like a thousand percent sure that they're right, right? And if you're a reasonable-minded person, you're you're you'll engage in some doubt. Well, maybe I'm not really right. You know, maybe there is that other perspective. You do that over months and years and decades. Uh, isn't it true that one's like entire sense of self can be chipped away oh yeah yeah because you get gaslit you know what you described was gaslighting um where the other person makes you doubt your reality um and yeah if you're you know sort of codependent and empathetic you are going to self-reflect and you know think what what can i do to change and and uh you know be more accommodating so um so, yeah, and that also makes it very difficult going through a divorce with a high conflict personality because they're going to they're it's going to be they're going to up the ante even more about how you're crazy and you're a bad parent and um you know, and when you have struggled to have a solid sense of self and like trust yourself um, it can really be debilitating when it gets even worse during divorce. And I think that brings us back to the expecting the other person to change um, or or hoping that they would understand you. I, I, I was in a, a high-conflict divorce, and I remember sitting with my therapist and just saying, if I could just be clearer, if I could just articulate better... Mm. why I am where I am and she was at one point she looked at me and she was like Karen you are crystal clear Mm -hmm, you can't mm -hmm. be any clearer if you're gonna if you're gonna wait around for him to hear you in the way Mm -hmm. that you want you want him to you're going to die in this marriage you're going to spend the rest of your life waiting like it's not happening Mm -hmm. and this light bulb went on because I kept thinking it has to be me. It has to yeah. be that somehow I'm just not doing a good job of communicating as opposed to he's not capable yeah. of seeing and hearing my perspective and yeah. perhaps his part. Right. And and that, again, is a good description of a codependent person where you feel overly responsible. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that the like the it, there's this insanity, the resistance to I've been with this person, whether it's five years or thirty years, they've been that way. But now that I'm getting a divorce, I want them They're, to get right. it. Like now I want them to change. And it's like if they could have changed, you'd never be where you are if you yeah. could have changed, right? And so there's yeah. that insanity, that resistance that what is, um, for whatever reason, isn't changing. And so you have to kind of come to accept that that this person is behaving and engaging the way they are and and then make your decisions accordingly. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, going back to what you said about the mission of, uh, of what you do is that there is this positive divorce movement out there, which I think is fantastic. Um, and, but it doesn't work for everybody. And so I think when you're a codependent person who feels overly responsible and you're dealing with somebody who's kind of disordered and high conflict, there's this sort of pressure in the zeitgeist to turning this bad divorce good. So it puts more pressure on the codependent. If I just do these things, if I do these five things that the article with the listicle told me, like I can... I can somehow get through to this person and we can co-parent and and this sort of fantasy that's never going to happen. So there is something in the culture that can um, kind of fuel the codependents really kind of addictive impulses because codependents get addicted to um, get addicted to sort of controlling situations in order Mm. to have a result that would be a good result, but it's just not possible. You know, it gets back to, we cannot control other people. We can just control ourselves. So that is my one caveat with the positive divorce movement is I think it can set people up to become kind of more controlling um, and more, you know, attached to an outcome that's just it's really just a fantasy where if you get back to, um, I cannot give this person a pip, like this is who they are. And let's start there. Let's, what do I do if I just accept that this is who they are? They're not going to be reasonable. What are the choices available to me? And I think one of the challenges, Virginia, I have this, this other client that I'm working with. And so her spouse who's, who's clearly on the narcissistic spectrum his words and his actions are utterly not aligned. And so he keeps saying to her, you know, it's you, you're the problem. We can't right. co-parent because of you. We can't collaborate because of you. You can't, don't you see what all of the, the information says? Like you're damaging our children when in fact it's impossible. And I think it gets very confusing for the codependent who's like, wait a second, that that doesn't, that's not right. But again, that big personality is so certain it's right. And so it does seem like, like it can, it can be a loop that, that people get caught in because you should have an amicable divorce. You should be able to co-parent, but not always. Yeah. I mean, well, should is, you know, it's just such a shaming word. I mean, yes, it would be it would be great. Right. If we could all do that. But it's not always possible. Let's talk about some of the other behaviors of and if we can refer to the parties as the narcissist and the codependent just for the purposes of of simplicity. um, The codependence behavior. So one of the things you said is expecting change. And then you just refer to controlling. I never knew how controlling I was Mm -hmm. until I went into a 12 step program. And then I was like, I'm I'm like on a sailboat. And instead of grabbing at the sail, I'm grabbing at the wind. I'm constantly Uh trying Uh to control something that's outside of my control. And I think that that's a lot of what um, the, the codependent party tries to do. Right. And I think, you know, the codependent who is often very empathetic and very other focused doesn't think of themselves as controlling. Um, But 
when you are always kind of twisting yourself into a pretzel to, you know, get the other person to calm down or to smooth things over, or you're kind of trying to predict what the other person's going to feel and change your behavior accordingly, that is a kind of control. You know, that's, that's, we call it uh, co-addiction. Um, so, you know, again, it's like, don't, don't beat yourself up about it. But once you realize that you are controlling things that are uncontrollable, that's actually the first step in taking back your power. You know, it's admitting that I'm powerless over, you know, and if you've been in a 12-step program, you know this, I'm powerless over people, places, and things. So what can I focus on? I can focus on changing my own behavior. Right. And that's that's kind of our um, theme through everything that we do is divorce is a really complex and difficult process. And there's a ton that's outside of your control, even if you're in, to your term, the garden variety. But but the one thing you always have control over is yourself. And if you could take your focus off of the messy, sticky, complicated issues that you're so clear on about your spouse and start focusing on what your part is, you can, as you said, Im- immediately step into uh, different Uh, levels of empowerment right and we'll be back with more journey beyond divorce after this we're there right when you need us the most and we make sure you have all the tools and resources at your fingertips guiding and supporting you between calls to be more effective i was very fortunate to find journey beyond divorce I would go searching for any piece of information that could either A, give me more knowledge about the divorce process itself, or B, could talk me down emotionally. And I found that Journey Beyond Divorce was really instrumental in providing both things. One, the guidance of the divorce process itself, as well as talking about self-maintenance and what does the individual need to do to kind of cope with it. Let us help you gain a broader perspective and determine your best next steps with our free Rapid Relief Lifeline call. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call. One of the things that you had mentioned um, when we were talking uh, in terms of the codependence behavior is taking things personally. So how could you speak to that? Um... Well, I think that codependents feel, because they're overly responsible, they feel that if somebody else is upset, it's got to be their fault. You know, they did something wrong. Um, And the reality is people, you know, people's reactions are more about themselves. You know, they're about the way somebody interprets reality, the way somebody regulates their emotions. And so um, narcissists have very distorted interpretations of reality. So anything that makes them feel less than adored or, you know, somebody puts down a very reasonable boundary, they're going to have this violent reaction and the codependent you know, could interpret that as, oh, I was too demanding, 
or, oh, I, you know, I just, I just, you know, maybe this wasn't really a bad thing. And I thought it was, um, you know, they, they take somebody else's reactions personally. Um, and that, you know, again, is something that people can work on in recovery from high conflict divorce or recovery from codependence is like, let the other person have their reaction. It doesn't have to ruin your day. It doesn't have to, um, shake, you know, your entire self-concept. Um, but you know, the more the codependent is able to kind of hold on to their own reality, I think the less swayed they get by the high conflict or the narcissist, um, uh, sort of blaming, blaming behavior. Right. And I think part of even before holding on to your own reality is that whole journey to begin to trust your own intuition and perspective, right? Like I, I used to usually say to some clients, uh, he or she is like renting space in your head, right? Yeah. There, you think about their thought their reaction, their feeling before you even tap into what yours is. And that's, that's that, that unhealthy behavior. And so stepping into, well, what do I think about this? What do I feel about this? What's my intuitive, what's my gut on this? And to begin to trust that after maybe years of just relying on, um, on your spouse's perspective. Yeah. Or believing I, it. Yeah, I would... I think I would I would look at that a little bit differently because I think you know feelings are not always facts and um, you can have a feeling about something that's generated by insecurity or envy or anxiety and sort of talk yourself into it and tell yourself a story about that but it's not it's not a fact so um, I think. I think what can be really helpful is to sort of see what evidence supports the feeling that you have. Mm. So, you know, if, if the, if, if your intuition or is so kind of off kilter after years of being gaslit, you may just really be stuck feeling that there's something you're defective and there's something terribly wrong with you. So then it's like, well, what evidence do I have to support that? You know, everything could possibly be my fault. Um, probably nothing. You know, you probably have people in your life that um, that are uh, that are good people and who make you feel good about yourself. Um, you probably have competencies in certain areas. So I think when I, I think kind of sort of like looking at facts and looking at evidence can be really helpful because again, I think codependent people get, they can get sort of stuck in, well, I feel this, therefore it must be true, but it's not always the case. Right, right, no, that's that's great. I like that a lot. You know, one of the things that uh, I think um, often happens is that high conflict personality will be filled with uh, their number one, their own right fear and reaction, but uh, is likely to to say how uh, 
how you're going to lose the children or, or, you know, I'm going to take everything or, you know, you're going to end up on the street. Like all of these things, uh, you don't want to get an attorney, you know, they'll take all of our money. We should definitely mediate like all of these different things. And oftentimes um, the, the spouse believes it, right? Like, like on face value and, and then they, react to it what is what is that about um so is your question why does the narcissist do that or why does the codependent yeah so so my my experience has been the person married to the narcissist takes what is said as fact i mean i think that's just the codependent training like there's all kinds of reasons people become codependent, but it usually starts very early in childhood where you learn not to trust yourself. And, um, you know, usually there was some kind of very dysfunctional, disordered person in the family that everybody was dancing around. Um, so I, I think it's just um, kind of condi- conditioning. Um, and... Uh, you know, and then there are also maybe really scary consequences. Um, you know, I, you're married to a high conflict person, and um, especially if they've been abusive. I mean, there's probably reasons to be to be scared of them. But I just I think it all goes back to the codependent feeling is so kind of other focused and feeling like they sort of don't have the right to ask for what they want they don't they don't have a healthy sense of entitlement yeah i hear you that makes a lot of sense and i think if you know if you're listening to this show and and this is resonating with you um one of the things i really want to strongly recommend is that um is that you have the kind of support system your your therapist your divorce coach your your um matrimonial attorney uh, and that what and that you believe the people who are there to support you um, and balance what they're saying against what your spouse might be saying to you, because that's that's a key way to begin to melt away some of that fear and build your trust, uh, because your your soon to be ex doesn't know any more about the law and and rights than you do, but they may sound very certain about it. Right. And so that's that's one way to really build your confidence is by leaning into that support team you've created. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then uh, the one of the other things we talked about um, was uh, you you refer to it as an addiction and the tendency to to engage Um and the damage that that can do, or maybe not damage, the ineffective, um, the ineffectiveness of constantly engaging with the narcissist. Can you speak to that? Well, I think that part of the reason that it happens is because the codependent is very conditioned to accommodating the narcissist um, and so you feel like, well, they emailed me 10 times today. I need to answer back to all those emails. You know, it's right. just you're 
condition to it. Um, you know what, can you repeat the question again? Because I think I might have been going in a different direction. I want to make sure I'm answering your question. No, I think actually you're exactly where I was hoping you would go. So, so, And the communication is a great example. Um, there's so often where... Uh, there's a dance that goes on, and so you're you're challenged to engage, right? And often that engagement ends in uh, in you defending yourself, right? And, and to right. your point, I think it's perfect. How many of my clients have literally 10, 15? I had one client; we counted 30 emails in one day, and 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 understanding the insanity of that and the insanity of getting them, but also the insanity of then participating in that engagement. Right. Right. And I think because the codependent and the narcissist are very psychologically engaged. I mean, the narcissist sort of thrives off of getting the codependent to jump. Um, and so because you can't change the narcissist, that's just what they're going to do. You can learn to stop jumping. And the dance is almost, a, from the narcissist perspective, is I'm going to deflect and deflect and put you in a position to defend. And so mm-hmm. you have this deflect and defend dance that goes right. on that right. is really um, unproductive, ineffective, and, and um, depleting for the right. person who's on the defensive. Right. But And I think it also goes back to being addicted to getting the narcissist to have an epiphany. Like if I just say the, if I, if I just craft the perfectly worded email, um, I can break through somehow. Or if I just am this really great co-parent, eventually he'll come around. So that also fuels this engagement. Um, and it's just, you know, it's not the case. It just keeps keeps the insanity going. So, you know, it's really interesting. I want to I ask you about this. You've mentioned addicted numerous times, which has never been a way that I've looked at it. And, you know, and I, I, know, I know some about addiction. And I would love, for those who are listening, like I would think, I'm not addicted. Um, I, they may, maybe I'm addicted to trying to control how he or she behaves can you just can you elaborate a little bit on either on the addiction or how you begin to break it um i'm just so curious about that concept yeah so an addiction is making something outside of yourself your higher power and organizing your entire life around that thing so if you're an alcoholic your your life is organized around alcohol. That that's more important than your relationship to anyone else. Um, if you are addicted, if you are codependent, you're a co-addict. So you are making another person in your life your higher power. You know, so your narcissist is right about everything. Their needs are the most important. So your whole life is kind of organized around that. Um, so so when you get divorced, you know, you would think that, oh, this will be great. I, you know, I'm getting away from this person and I can go and like kind of have my own life. But but when your whole life and probably starting in childhood has been um, 
making somebody else so much more important than you, it's hard, as you said, to like change the dance step. Um, but I really find that high conflict divorce, the sort of the mechanism of it is very similar to addiction because, um, you know, people get just really attached to, I got to give the person, the other, get the other person to have an epiphany. If I just do all the things that this listicle told me to, I can have a better divorce. Um, and as I said, it just does, does not happen. Right, right. And, and my understanding of, of the narcissist personality is um, they, they will, they will fight until the death, right? They, they have yeah. to win. And so, you know, part of, part of what maybe I'm hearing uh, between the lines is uh, as as the person who's been addicted to trying to get them to change, actually a very different approach is to um, determine what are your non-negotiables and what are you willing to give up? Because the more you can um, say, these aren't that important, he or she is going to fight for them and they can be my gives, right? Yeah. As opposed to, it's almost like there has to be, you don't want to give everything up, but the more flexibility you can have and the more you can determine what's the most important thing, what are the most critical things and what can I really let him or her just feel like they won, that you you begin to change the dance in doing that, don't you? Yes, and and I think it even starts with, you know, with those emails, like, you know, because the tendency, if you've got an ex who tells you how crazy and awful you are, the tendency is you defend yourself, um, which is just what they want, because you just any anything you say to them is just fodder for debate. So you have to say as little as you possibly can. So, you know, who cares what they think? You know, just you don't need you don't need to respond to it. You know, just sort of ignore all the crazy stuff they're saying to you. And I understand. Um, and child support is still due on the first. You know, just like right. You know, go ahead. I, Sorry. And I have I have I'm 14 years post divorce, and I still um, have these interesting things that happen. And many years ago, I just started saying, okay, let's go with that. Yes, yeah. And he would be like, you're such a X, Y, and Z. And I'd be like, okay, let's go with that. Yeah. You know, bye, click. And right. just like, it was like the, the, the less you fight and the less you engage um, and the less you defend, when you fight, when you engage, when you defend, you're, you're taking a can of gasoline exactly. and you're pouring it on a fire and you're creating a bonfire instead of what you want, which is it for it to just simmer down and 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 just go out yeah exactly yeah that's a good one you may be right is another one good one nevertheless uh, yep. <laughs> it's a good one yes right so i, I would i want to shift over if we could to um some coping mechanisms both you and i have um have discussed the 12-step programs and that there's some beautiful stuff there you had said you had some coping coping mechanisms that you share with your clients i'm wondering if we can uh support our listeners by sharing some of those 
Yeah. So um, I think the key to coping with divorce from a narcissist is to develop a mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so it all starts with radical acceptance. It all starts with accepting um, this is who I'm divorced from. I'm probably not going to have the kind of divorce that I want. Um, I don't like the way things feel right now. It's really unpleasant, but the, but this is the way things are right now because the idea behind mindfulness is that it's the reason we suffer. It's because of our relationship to reality. It's it, there's pain in life, but the suffering comes from wanting things to be a way that they're not. So I really work with people on just it's got to start with radical acceptance, like what, you know, kind of accepting what's happening in this moment. And when you're able to step back from it and kind of like observe your thoughts, observe your feelings, you put a space in between you and the feeling. Um, and then you can start to kind of ride out the feelings and make a make a mindful choice. Because very often what happens, you know, like if you get that nasty email, you feel flooded. You have this extreme emotional reaction. It's traumatic. You you maybe you have a knee jerk reaction. Maybe you file fire off a, na- a, a nasty email back or you go eat, you know, a box of cookies or, you know, you do something that isn't mindful because you, you know, you just, you just can't tolerate reality, but the more you can kind of step back from it and go, Oh, right. This is, this is what my ex does. He sends these nasty emails. I feel myself, I, you know, I feel my heart starting to race. I feel my cheeks are really hot. Wow. This is what, this is what anxiety feels like right now. Hmm. What can I do? What are my options? And when you sort of created space to observe the feeling and not get hijacked by it, then you can utilize your coping skills. But it's got to start with being able to stay present in the moment without reacting to it. Yeah, that's perfect. In 12-step programs, they say, um, if you're upset, count to 10. If you're really upset, count to 100. Mm-hmm. And and we have, um, and for those of you listening who haven't uh, tuned into our other series, our first series was a 12-step divorce recovery mm. uh, program. And step one is curb the conflict, slow your reactions. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the, those early baby steps of mindfulness where you create space between what's happening and you reacting to it. And ultimately you find yourself taking the time and then responding intelligently rather than reacting emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The thing I like to, to reference is Eckhart Tolle, right? He talks about the pain body. Something happens and this wave of heat, this pain body flies through your body and your fingers want to start typing a response or yeah. you want to start like you, you're, you're, you have this like knee jerk desire to just just immediately shoot back and that mindfulness of breathe and wait and count to let the pain body die down, regain access to your conscious mind really will allow you to be so much more 
um, intelligent and effective in in your response. Right. And I think it's also um, changing the story you tell yourself. So mm. again, if your story is, I got to get this person to see I'm reasonable, you are setting yourself up for misery. But if it's like, oh, I remember last week when I got into a debate with my ex, that didn't work. I'm not going to do that right now. I realize that the way he's responding has nothing to do with me. This is just him. The more you start to tell yourself um, kind of these stories that are more steeped in reality, you'll start to calm down. So it's, it's just really learning to recondition yourself. You know, Virginia, you shared with me when we spoke last time that you had a story about your divorce um, where you practiced a lot of this. It had to do with your son and his graduation. Can you share that with our listeners? Yeah. So I think what you're referring to that I went, um, it was my son's high school graduation. And so I, I had a very difficult divorce and my son went back and forth uh with custody and he ended up the last year or so he was with my ex full time. So I didn't have much to do with his high school that year. And I went to the high school graduation and um, all of the parents had made sort of like a video collage or montage of their child's life. And so my ex had made one um, and it was my son with, you know, throughout, you know, from little boy to graduating from high school, my son with my ex, with his new wife, with my daughter, with the stepkids. I wasn't present mm -hmm. at all. I mean, it was just like I'd been erased. And um, it was my own recovery that, I mean, I realized how much recovery I had in that moment by the way I responded to it, where I felt this initial tug. Like, I re I can remember, like, the physical tug mm. in my chest and in my stomach, like, oh, like, it was painful, like, yeah. as if I didn't exist. And then I thought, oh, that's really sad. That's really sad that my ex, who has so many gifts in his life, you know, is still that angry at me that I don't even have like one picture in the, in the montage, like that I had to be erased. And I really felt like a wave of compassion that, wow, that's got to be, you've got to be in a lot of pain to behave in that way. And so I didn't suffer. I felt right. pain, but I didn't suffer. And it and really changed the way I looked at my ex. And it sounds like you know, so many people would take that so personally oh, and yeah. you were able to look at it and say, that's really about him. Yeah. And and it's sad. Yeah. 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 And I think that's a that's that whole issue of changing your story, right? That's such a powerful part of the work that we do is what's your perspective? How is it serving you? If you think it's the only perspective out there 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 are many different possibilities and to find something and and that sounds like what you were able to do in that moment to really shift to wow you know 
how unfortunate and how sad as opposed to I can't believe you did and right. what does that say about me and the whole that whole well, taking it personally being devastated all over again right. as hard as it was and I'm hearing that there's a big difference between feeling some pain and suffering and and that has to do with one's perspective and how you choose to see things exactly exactly and I do want to say that my ex and I actually are quite cordial now um my daughter's this is her last year in high school and we we now have an amicable divorce and if you had told me that this would have happened uh you know years ago i would have said forget it like it's you're it's just never gonna happen so um and a lot of and a lot of the reason it happened because i because of you know, as this anecdote illustrates, I just changed the way that I reacted to things and I changed the story that I told myself. And he changed as well. I don't want to say it was all me. He changed as well. And I'm not going to comment on that because that's not my story. But um, I say that because I want to, you know, give listeners some hope that it doesn't have to be gloom and doom forever, but it cannot be, I'm going to change my behavior. So they're going to change. It has to be, I'm going to change my behavior because I want to transcend this insanity. I don't want this divorce to run my life. And so I'm going to figure out how best to deal with this situation with, you know, integrity and and sanity. And I, I think that's such a big part of it. It's like, how do you navigate a high conflict divorce with, grace and dignity and the truth is if that other personality um has their dukes up and is fighting or playing dirty the whole time that doesn't have to determine how you do now i'm not saying be un to to be naive or to be too vulnerable but there is the ability one of the things i've raised my kids with is like don't ever let somebody's bad behavior determine yours right and so you have the ability going our feeling is going through a high conflict divorce is um a perfect opportunity to heal and hone yourself and to emerge healthier and stronger than ever, um, regardless of how the other person shows up. And and to your point, Virginia, I know that um, early on in my divorce, I used to shame my my ex because you know child support was always late and and I was financially frightened and triggered and so there was like a lot of shaming that went on and and there came a point where I realized you know what not only isn't that good for me to be saying it can't possibly be helping and I started saying you know anything you can do even if you could give a little bit you know I appreciate I get a partial I really appreciate it you know um and it it changed the um the energy and the flavor of our communication and it had him he be started coming back saying no 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 you know thank you for your consideration thank you for your patience and it was mm-hmm. fascinating to me that as i healed more and 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 went through my own growth that by changing my way um not 
in an effort to change him at all, but to then be, begin to see whatever shifts he was capable of making that just eased the tension a little bit. And that was beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I'm sure he sensed that, you know, you weren't scared anymore. And, you know, you changed your dance step, so he changed his. But, um, but you know, again, it can't be, that can't be the expectation that if you start saying please and thank you and stop the shaming that they'll behave any differently. I mean, it, it, it could happen and it's some, you know, certainly farther down the line, but it's got to be with how do I want to be in the world? How do I want to act? And it's not conditioned on what your ex does or doesn't do. And that's part of the hard wiring. When I found out I was a codependent, I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And and then it was like years of learning how to, like, I'm a recovering codependent. And I continue to learn how to make sure that I'm keeping my side of the street clean, that I'm doing things for the right reasons, um, that I'm not doing something to control somebody else. Or I was talking to a client just yesterday and she was telling me how she was going to try and figure out what her spouse was going to think and if he was going to do this then maybe she'd do that and if he was going to do this maybe she'd do that and I was like oh my god it's exhausting like and 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 that whole tying yourself into a pretzel and trying yeah. to assess and evaluate every possible move so that you know the right move to make to and here's what I want to say to quote unquote keep the peace that doesn't exist mm-hmm. and it's exhausting and it's unhealthy and it's ineffective and so if this resonates with you to really begin to notice where your attention goes because focusing on how do I feel? What do I want? And so we completely, her and I complete. I said, what do you want to accomplish? Like you're getting in the car and driving with all these schemes, but you don't even know what your destination is. And so she completely changed the way she started looking at it. And she was like, okay, this is the next step. Okay, great. Don't think about what he is or isn't going to say or do or feel. What do you want to do? And, and refocusing on yourself and what you want and the best way to articulate or the best moves to make to go in that direction for you, not for controlling the other one, is the beginning of a much healthier path. Would you would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, another way to kind of come through high conflict divorce is to see it and and you know, it can sound a little hokey, but I, I believe this a thousand percent is to see it as an opportunity for growth. Like the universe has sort of handed you this situation because you must change. You know, that if you're codependent, your your ex probably didn't make you that. You probably were already that person and it got worse uh, during the marriage, but you know, these are behaviors you need to change in order to be your best person. So I think when people can stop seeing the ex as the antichrist and, Mm. you know, the terrorist and, and look at them as the teacher, then it's empowering. You know, if you get out of that sort of feeling victimized mode, um, (laughs) 
Yeah, and and that's when things can really shift. Yeah, that's very true. Byron Katie has a a, a, a quote. I'm I'm not going to do it beautifully, but she says, um, "Things don't happen to you; they happen for you um, mm-hmm. at exactly the right time. You don't have to like it, but it's better if you do." Okay. And <laughs> and it's really it's it's look it up. It's it's better if you read it direct, but. The point to it is this isn't happening to you. People say that all the time. Why is this happening to you? It's not happening to you. Um, it's it's the perfect timing. It's exactly what you need. And if you can stop, stop looking at it as you've been victimized, not that you haven't had a difficult time, but that there's an opportunity here to to grow and heal through this, um, again, you can emerge um with your best life going forward. Yes, and that is so important. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that I see in in therapy with clients who come in and they, um, and it's usually one person and they, and they have a high conflict ex, they spend a lot of time wanting to psychoanalyze the ex and they ask me what I think and why are they doing this and they they keep telling retelling the problem story and all of that at a certain point is really a distraction from taking personal responsibility mm-hmm. you know it's a lot easier to talk about you know the 97 horrible things your ex did to you last week than to say okay what are the things that I need to do differently? Right. right. This is my part. And what do I do differently? Yeah. I, I want to take a minute here to just tell tell our audience um, before we wrap up. Virginia's book is called Transcending High Conflict Divorce, How to Disengage from Your Ex and Find Your Power. It's a great book. It'll help you to, number one, understand the dynamics fueling your high-conflict divorce. It'll diffuse conflict by communicating strategically with your ex. It'll help you to successfully parallel parent while when conventional co-parenting fails. And it will help you to turn the worst thing that ever happened to you into an opportunity for personal growth and renewal um her book is written just it's beautiful it's straightforward it's got humor um it will uh it will help you uh, feel empowered and manage your divorce in a way that allows you to move on and um and enjoy your best life and so transcending high conflict divorce how to disengage from your ex and find your power i'm assuming on amazon yes yes that's correct. It's a uh, paper book and ebook. Yeah. So, so if you've enjoyed um, listening and got a lot of value out of today's conversation, by all means, go to go to Amazon uh, and um, and pick up Virginia's book. Um, and Virginia, do you have any last uh, last uh, tips or suggestions uh, for our audience before we wrap up? Um, yeah, I also, I really want to push the idea of self-care for people. Um, and that's really hard when you're going through divorce. Um, self-care can kind of go out the window, but doing a few basic things will help you regulate your nervous system, which will then enable you to function better. Thanks, Virginia, for a great show. 
So folks, if you've been finding value in our podcasts, we ask that you take a minute and review our Journey Beyond Divorce podcast on iTunes. It's fast and simple, and it's a great way to pay it forward and help someone else who's looking for valuable content as they navigate divorce. Stay tuned for the upcoming shows in this Divorcing a Narcissist and High Conflict Divorce series. A new show will be released approximately every two weeks. Make sure you subscribe to our Journey Beyond Divorce podcast so that you're notified as each show goes live. Some of our upcoming episodes include Understanding the Dysfunctional Dance and How to Disengage from Your Spouse, Strategies for Staying Sane and Effective During Divorce, Understanding the Legal Landscape and Supporting experts available for high conflict divorce and how to protect the kids when divorcing a high conflict personality. In total, we will provide a series of 24 episodes supporting you through this high, highly contentious and difficult time. My team of Journey Beyond Divorce coaches and I are committed to supporting you to navigate your high conflict divorce effectively and to grow personally through the journey. We offer private coaching via phone and video chat to men and women all across the world. Also, you can join our Journey Beyond Divorce community on Facebook and get the guidance and encouragement of our coaches along with the support of others facing similar divorce challenges. And you can also find us on our two websites, journeybeyonddivorce.com and jbddivorcesupport.com. We're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, check us out and follow us. Tune back in about two weeks, and thanks for listening. At Journey Beyond Divorce, we know that sometimes the most powerful support we can offer is to help you process the storm of emotions you're experiencing and gently challenge the beliefs that are keeping you stuck. The way Karen delivers her program is that she validates the feelings, the emotions, the ups, the downs. She hones in on the specifics that really talk to that particular person when they're going through this crazy emotional time. Let us be a beacon in the midst of this crazy emotional time. Book a free lifeline call with us to help lift the fog and begin practicing new ways of thinking, being, and doing that better support you as you journey through and beyond divorce. Our gift to you is taking that first step with you on your free Rapid Relief Lifeline call, where we help you navigate the emotional and logistical turbulence of separation and divorce. Visit rapidreliefcall.com to book your call.